my first day of work, I came into Sound One, seventh floor, got an elevator, was walking down the hallway, and room 701 in the corner, I looked in the room, and there was Francis Ford Coppola reading the news. Down the hall, and Bob Fosse came bursting out of right one across of the, the hall from like David's this. ADR studio. I walked into my room, and Paul Newman is my sitting at my bench reading skip. my newspaper. And I met Joel and Ethan on my first day in New York. I was working in my room, floor. and I, there was a knock on my door, and I turned around, and it was Al Franken. Walking down the hallways and riding the elevators of Sound One's Brill Building at 1619 Broadway at 49th Street could instantly offer exposure to the major leagues of the New York film industry. At the very best, it could offer an introduction towards working with some of the most important up-and-coming and established filmmakers, actors, and musicians working in New York at the time. In this segment, former staff and clients of the Sound One community share stories of people they met walking down the hallways and riding the elevators at Sound One, depicting how and why Sound One came to represent the center of the New York film universe. This frame-by-frame podcast is one of a multi-part series on the era of New York's Sound One, 1968 to 2012. Frame by Frame is presented by Motion Picture Editors Guild and the Post New York Alliance because it's how you finish that counts. Our website is postnewyork.org and we can be found on Twitter at at postny. The host for the Sound One episode is Harbor Picture Company. The voices in this episode include those of picture editors Michael Berenbaum, Angela Correo, Bill Pankow, Nancy Novak, Stuart Levy, and Tim Squires. Transfer engineer Steve Simons, studio manager Jay Rubin, supervising sound editor Damien Volpe, sound editor Dan Sable, Phil Stockton, and Mark Laub, music editors Missy Cohen and Sherry Johansson, post-production supervisor Susan Lazarus, Foley artist Marco Costanzo, head of transfer department Rocky Tortorella, and re-recording mixer Dominic Tavella and Tom Fleischman. A friend of mine who was working found a job on the tail end of Midnight Cowboy, and then he called me up. And I said, Angelo, Angelo, uh, I, 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 I found the film business. And I said to him, what do you mean you found the film business? I, I'm, I, he said, I, I really found it. It's here at 49th and Broadway. All these films are being made just here, right here. And I said, what are you talking about? You know, in one place, in one street? And he says, yeah, this is where it all happens. There's like three buildings, 1600, 1619, and Magno around the corner, right at 49th and Broadway. And that's where the film industry is. I thought he was nuts, but I had to, at some point I had to believe that he'd found something because he told me he found the job. So he must have found the film industry. That, that was the Brill building uh, uh, where Sound One was. And so in these particular buildings, they would rent out people room by room or a, a partnership of a couple of people would be put together and they would rent out several rooms. And so you would be able to go from floor to floor and see these films being edited by the few top New York film editors who were doing that kind of work at the time. It was the place for mixing feature films. So you would see everyone there, and you know, you'd go, go into Bill Nicholson's office and just chat with him for a while. And Pretty much everybody was working there. So you would take a break and wander the halls and, and see friends, and it was very communal. I mean, the New York film industry is a 16th the size of L.A., so you pretty much get to know everybody at a certain point. During this whole growth period, uh, I think Reds was over at Trans Audio, and everyone in the world was over there, but everyone who wasn't on Reds was coming into Sound One. So I got to meet and, 
and work with pretty much everyone in the industry, uh, everybody. Because with Bill, he did take every job that was not out there, and, and I'd be working three or four jobs and, you know, into the nights and Saturdays and Sundays for, for a long time. It was, it was amazing, the amount of work that came in and through the company. You get in the elevator and you go, I think that's Craig McKay. <laughs> you know, or hey, that's Chevy Chase because that was the other thing about the Brill Building, is all the actors would come there for ADR, and there was all this music stuff going on there too. You know, Paul Simon's offices were there, so you'd see all kinds of interesting people in the elevator. I'd be at Sound One like all day long, like just running errands and delivering things. And over the course of like a week, I think every time I went up the elevator, it was me, Bill Murray, and someone else. And Bill Murray was. It was in the middle of quick change, and he was just cracking jokes the whole time and just holding court. And I remember it was one of the Irwins were in the elevator with me once, and they were telling Bill, they were saying, oh, I saw the trailer for your movie, and it looked it looked really great. And so, like, I'm just like, every time I get in the elevator, I have to listen to this stuff. So I walk out, and I said, yeah, but Steve, you know, the trailer's always so much better than the final film. And I walk away. <laughs> and I hear Bill Murray at the top of his lungs, like, you hippie, you will never work in this town again. <laughs> so, so I was working for Skip Livesay at the time. Skip made me write an apology to Mr. Murray. <laughs> and for the next month, when I would walk around Sound One, it didn't matter who Bill was talking to. He would say, oh, hold on a second. There's a friend of Bill's. Hey, Stuart, would you come over here and tell us about Bill? <laughs> and it didn't matter if he was talking to a studio head or whatever. He would just razz me about that until the end of time. But he would never tell Bill Murray my name. <laughs> I was doing Bill Murray ADR, and uh, at the end of the day, this was on The Limits of Control, where he plays a very serious Dick Cheney kind of character. And... Um, I walked in to say thanks. It was great, great session. And he picks me up, throws me over his shoulder, and, and proceeds to walk around the room for 10 minutes oh. talking. I've got a Bill Murray story. <laughs> Lee was working during the day on Bill Murray's film Quick Change, and I was working at night in the same studio on uh, this terrible horror film called Frankenhooker. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, like 6, 6.30, we change over the room, and um, Bill hung around one day. was whatever, getting paperwork, and he started seeing some of Frankenhooker. And after that, he started to hang around more and more and more. <laughs> and after about a week, he goes to the back room, and he talks to, uh, who's the back, who's in the back room then? Harry and Kelly. Yeah, Harry and Kelly. But he goes in the back room and he goes, their film is so much better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> I was walking down the hall, and... Bob Fosse came bursting out of one of the stages like this. No, he said, can you whistle? <laughs> and I was like, you mean like... He said, no, like, whistle. I said, yeah, I can do that. And he grabbed me and put me in the back of the session in a room like this, and, and every now and again he would point at me and I'd do a wolf whistle. <laughs> and, I, you know, that was just sound one on any day. That was all that jazz. It was all that jazz, definitely. My first day of work, I came into Sound One, seventh floor, got an elevator, was walking down the hallway, and room 701 in the corner, I looked in the room, and there was Francis Ford Coppola reading the newspaper. I was in film school, so 
I walked into the room and inter introduced myself to him and told him that I was going to be working on his movie. And over the course of that job, we had many conversations and at waiting at the elevator in the men's room. And it was quite remarkable to be talking to these people when you were just studying their films, you know, within the last few years. The elevators were notoriously slow in Sound One for, for a very long time. They eventually fixed them. But so we used to take the stairs from floor to floor if you had to deliver something or, or uh, take something to another floor. Um, and when I was a messenger, I was going from the eighth floor down to, I believe it was the sixth floor. And, you know, you're running down the stairs and you fling open the door to go into the hallway. And I tripped on someone that was sitting there and I fell on the floor and I turned around and it was Al Pacino sitting there reading a script just in the middle of the floor in the hallway. Turned around to start to yell at whoever it was that was sitting there and I realized it was him and I just was like, sorry, Mr. Pacino, and put my tail between my legs and went and did what I had to do. I was, uh, I was working in my room and I, there was a knock on my door and I turned around and it was Al Franken. No uh, way. Uh, Senator Al Franken now. And he said, do you have a 16 millimeter splicer? And we were working at 35, I said, no. Now, the previous weekend on Saturday Night Live, they had done a skit called the Duluth Answer Man, where he was set up in a supermarket in a little kiosk, and people would just come up and ask him, like, stupid questions. So I, I said to him, aren't you the Duluth Answer Man? And he said, I am. And he, he, we, went, we did the whole skit together. We fed each other lines, and he did the whole thing with me. And then he said, I got to go. I got to go find a 16 millimeter. <laughs> I, I came into my room. I was working on the second floor. I think I was working with Ira on the west, and I had to use the restroom, and I came back, and my room was right across the hall from David's ADR studio, and I walked into my room, and Paul Newman is sitting at my bench reading my newspaper. And I was like, hi. And he's like, how are you? His, his, his glasses were like this because he's reading. He's like, hey. And I'm like, hi. <laughs> and uh, he said, oh, I'm sorry. He said, uh, he said, you must be trying to get to work. So he took my newspaper, he folded it up and put it under his arm and walked out. I'm sure he went to the restroom with it. I did not want my newspaper <laughs> back after that. But that was my brush with Paul Newman. So. I remember taking my, my six-month-old daughter to the cutting room. And I walk into the cutting room and Mel Brooks sees a baby and he goes, a baby? He says, can I? And he takes Jennifer, and he does 20 minutes on a baby, and we were laughing so hard it hurt, you know. Yeah. I then took Jennifer into the cutting room down the hall, which was Steve Rodder's cutting room, and I, and I said, Steve, let me borrow your table for a minute, and I changed my her diaper on his table because I knew it would drive him crazy. When I worked at Film Sound, that's before Sound One, I worked on a film called it was a Preminger film. Film Sounds hired this guy as a messenger on the film. This guy's name was Chevy Chase. He just worked there schlepping stuff around. He was there for maybe six months or so, and then he went off to do his thing. Fast forward to 1988, I think, and I was working on a film called Funny Farm with Chevy Chase. And the cutting room was upstairs. I was on the sixth floor, and the cutting room was on the seventh floor. And the editor was Alan Heim. And Alan, I guess, or somebody, had mentioned the fact 
that I was working on the film. I don't know how that came about, but he found out I was working on the movie. And I don't know how he remembered me because this was like 10 or 12 years after he worked at, worked at Film Sounds. And we're all working, cutting away, and all of a sudden he walks into the room and takes over. And, and he was telling everybody how he was a sound editor. So that's one open door. I was in room 313, which was right above the entrance to sound one, and there was a steel drum player on the corner. <laughs> this is a sound editor's nightmare, because this guy never stopped. That guy told me for thousands of dollars. He only knew the first couple bars of the Godfather theme and Fear Elise. And one time I was walking down the third floor, and Robert De Niro came out of the ADR studio, and without missing a beat, he whistled. The, the, the introduction to the Godfather theme and then right into Fur Release without missing a beat perfectly. <laughs> I just like, cracked up. I, I would go down and I'd give the guy 20 bucks. Yeah, go so away. Go, just go away. Pick another corner. Just go away. By the end of the week, I was into it for like 100 bucks. <laughs> Why should he go away? Because there was like this much window between us and Broadway. But there was also the drummer guy, the other drummer guy, and Nora Ephron came in to the office to me, and she's like, did you call the police? And I said, no, I didn't call the police. She's like, oh, another irate woman called. I assumed it was you. I'm like, it wasn't me. There was a bomb scare. We all had to empty out the building. We ended up on the sidewalk, and I'm sitting, standing next to Ronnie Roos, and I said, what was that? It was a bomb scare. And he said, oh, they must have seen the rough cut of my film. <laughs> Back to Gene Krupa's syncopated style shortly. Do you remember calling me down to Studio E to sing Lonely as a Man Without Love? For John Turturro? Yes, I did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for Romance and Cigarettes. Yeah, I remember that. And then you end up, you ended up doing it, right? In the garbage man yeah. scene? Yeah, when Gantofini is riding around on the garbage yeah. truck. I did. John's like, we need somebody. We need somebody that can sing. And I was like, I have the perfect person. And I went to the transfers. I grabbed Rocky. I'm like, this is Rocky. He's going to sing for you. And he's in. He's in the film. The Era of New York Sound One podcast series is co-produced by Sherry Johansson and Isabel Sederni. The recording engineers were Bobby Johansson and Mike Rivera. In New York, this is Frame by Frame.